Since iTunes only keeps the last 100 episodes of any show, some of our show topics that seem to help the most people are no longer available when people search on iTunes. So, in an effort to make that information available to more people, from time to time we're going to re-air some of our most popular show topics. You can also go to kickitnaturally.com and search for any topic in our search box. For now, enjoy this show that originally aired in 2014. T.C. Hill is not a doctor and does not claim to be a doctor or licensed in any type of medical field. Don't be an idiot and use anything heard on the show as medical advice. This information should be used for educational purposes only and you should contact your doctor for any medical advice. Now get off me. Welcome to Kick It Naturally. I'm Kenna McEnroe and I'm here with T.C. Hale, author, natural health expert, producer, extraordinaire. We also have Will Hottie Patati Schmidt coming to us. We're from the Bay Area. I'm actually really not here. So uh, the show's probably not going to be that great today. This was pre-recorded. Um, so I'm sorry if you have to sit through all this without me. Thank you, Kenna. Okay, it's just me and you, Will. It's like an all-guys show, which means one thing we know for sure, that it's going to suck. <laughs> You'd be wrong about everything. Right, so at least we have Nina in the background being a girl to make it at least function as a show. She like, can at least shake her head dismissively. Right, but you just notice that girls just do stuff better than guys. and Many things, yes. Yeah, and so now we don't have any girls talking... Here with us, so I'm not sure how we're going to keep all this straight. All right, well, we'll do our best. All right, I guess that's all we can do. Why don't we have Kenna tell us about Facebook stuff? Oh, man. If this is your first time listening to us, why? You need to follow us at Facebook at Kick It In The Nuts. That's where we post all of our show topics that we'll be doing. You can ask any questions, and we'll try to cover those questions. You can even give us show ideas, and we might do them. Okay, that was good, Kenna, even though Kenna's not here. So Kenna is off being fancy. She's doing a shoot, like she's out of town, like doing a, a movie shoot, something. Uh, it's probably porn, I'm not sure. I, I imagine it's porn, but it's something where she's very fancy and, and we're not fancy. Well, you guys are in Studio City. Right, right. That's where it all, it all happens. So we got a fun topic today. We're going to talk about uh, lactose intolerance, and we'll talk a lot about dairy stuff all together. And this is something where Will and I have some opposing views, so it'll be fun to kind of hear both sides of the story. But I think in the end, we'll come together and kind of agree on things. Because if he doesn't, I'll just hang up his side because he's on Skype and I'll just click it off. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden, we'll agree on everything. Yeah, then like it's amazing what post-production can <laughs> right. do. It's going to be awesome. Um, so one thing, though, is that like uh, with a lot of things with dairy, we're going to talk specifically about, about milk some too. Um, but, you know, a, f a few years ago, I classified milk like right with soft drinks. Like I was going to, you know, tell somebody to drink milk as much as I was going to tell them to drink soft drinks. But I have some different views on that now. And uh, I still don't drink milk at all, uh, not even raw milk or anything. Um, but I still buy it at the store. So that I just like to have it and yeah. hold it. You freeze it? No. I just, I buy it so that Sarah has it because we'll talk a little bit more. I know you're going to want to talk probably about how, uh, you know, the sugars in milk are a good stable source that can supply sustainable glucose. And when a woman's breastfeeding, she needs a higher source of mm -hmm. carbs, glucose, sugars coming in or the, uh, oh, I, I got a magic signal there. 
I guess that happens when I talk about breast milk. I didn't hear it. Oh, okay. Um, It was on my computer. It's just a Skype thing. Uh, So um, for that reason, she drinks milk now. So uh, we'll talk about that some too. But we got a bunch of questions about lactose intolerance. We're going to talk about a bunch of different uh, stuff about that. Um, Why don't we jump into some questions, Ben, and I think after a question or two, we'll probably just ramble for 30 or 40 minutes and then get to another question later. It's probably going to go two episodes on this topic because we have a lot to cover. Cool. So the first one was from Robert. It's not a question. It's a statement. Haven't drank milk for years. Not a problem. Yeah, so that that kind of fixed him up real nice. And and that was kind of the viewpoint that I had. you know, but this was back when a lot of foods were giving me problems and I was cutting out a lot of stuff, but I cut out all dairy and I did fine without it. And I did that for years. And I talked to a lot of people that that's their solution is just to cut it out altogether. And we'll talk about ways to do that and whether it's right to do that as we uh, go through the show and stuff. But first, we want to talk about some of the the factors of dairy, and we want to talk about the lactose intolerance issue and stuff like that. So let's hit one more question for sure. Well, just to comment on that thing, there's there's a lot of things people will cut out, and they can they can be fine with not having them. But then there's there's also like some level of restriction that people feel they think that they have to take, uh, and they and they don't actually have to cut out those things like when they get one of these food sensitivity or food allergy tests right and they've been eating you know like blueberries or corn or coconuts or eggs for their whole life and then they find out apparently they're highly deathly allergic to eggs so then they never eat them again even though they've been having them every day for years and they're fine but they get these tests that say like oh i can't do that or they have an experience with milk or something where they feel nauseous or they have some skin reaction or stuffiness or whatever, and then they just blame, all of a sudden, blame that food for that thing and think that it's just an irreversible genetic allergy. And I'm looking forward to, as we get into this episode, to like maybe debunk some of that thinking and free up foods that people thought were impossible for them to eat in a healthy way. Um, and just show like what are some of the things you might need to do to like get it so that it does work for you and that's partly not just for restoring the possibility of eating milk for some people but other foods too that they may think that they can't have that could be adding nutrition and variety and enjoyment to their diet right like when I did uh, my allergy tests long ago I found that I was allergic to connect Four, the game <laughs> wow. and I had been playing connect Four all the time and uh-huh. so that was hard to push that out of my life. But now I found that I can totally play Connect Four again. That's I don't so- I don't win, yeah. but I can include it in my life, and I think that counts for something. Yeah, I'm happy for you. Good. Uh, let's go to Pooja. Next guy, Pooja, says, How does one know how much milk is good? Indian milk tea is not a worry right the way it's not worry right the way it's made. I think oh. they said because that's a tea where you heat like a combination of uh, like chaya and milk. Uh, and since it's heated, maybe they're thinking that that makes everything okay. And, and uh, we're going to talk about some reasons to the other person might leave milk out. But uh, for someone who's having trouble with certain aspects of milk, heating it is not going to change the trouble that's causing. 
Um, as far as knowing how much is good, one of the things that we're going to talk about is uh, because of the different factors of dairy or milk that can create trouble, um, it's not always easy to know. No, Even if you do some kind of allergy test, we're going to talk about some of the allergy tests that might at least give you a starting point to start with, but not all of them are always accurate. Um, so e- even if you do that, you can't always know. But one thing that really works well uh, for a lot of different things, and especially when it comes to dairy, is to drop all of it for 30 days and see how you do. Does anything improve? Do you feel different? Do symptoms go away? And then once that 30 days is up, add them back in one at a time to see if any of those problems come back. And and that's one way to really know how it how it can do for you. For for me, um, you know, I dropped all dairy for probably four or five years, and I'm able to add it back in now, and I do okay with some specific steps that we'll talk about. But if I drink a lot of milk, even raw milk, um, I don't do as well. And I find that I do that. That's similar for me with tomatoes. That um, before tomatoes would wreck me, but now I can eat them. I can eat tomato sauce. But if I if I tomato it up every single day, then I don't feel as well. And I find that milk is similar to me, uh, similar to that with me. So as far as knowing how much is right, well, nobody's going to be able to give you an actual number. Um, it's going to depend on you. And this is one of those things where you might not be able to do like a self test to figure out oh, I'm not having enough, or maybe I'm having too much. You kind of have to go off, how do I feel? And sometimes the only way to figure that out is to figure out how do you feel without it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we are doing something for years and we kind of don't know that we something's affecting us, we're just doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. So let's get into some of the stuff uh, about dairy and about milk, Will, and, and maybe you should start off with your point of view and and say, let, let's clear up some of the things that uh, might be misconceptions out there, and then we'll get into stuff about lactose and when is that necessary to take steps and when is it not, stuff like that. Sure. Well, I think a big part of one that you'll you'll agree with me perhaps entirely on is that for you to be able to successfully eat anything symptom-free – your digestion needs to be working well, right. you, you know. So I've had you know lots and lots of clients that come to me with all sorts of reported allergies, like oh I can't eat any fruits or coconut or eggs or meat or dairy or nothing. Like they, I don't know, they could just have ether and water, right? And they have to bit. leave the planet so they can have lunch. Yeah, and they could have like uh, zucchini or something like that. Was okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like man. And then we fix their digestion, you know, using the tips we talk about in our digestive issues course at kickitnaturally.com where they learn how to fix their stomach acid and get their bile flowing well. And they learn how to help create like a healthy little ecosystem inside their intestinal tract. And once they did that, all of a sudden, like they could eat those foods with no problem, like no stuffiness, no belching, no bloating, no constipation, no gas, no burping. And it was... You know, it was just a matter of getting it so that their digestion was running right. And that's a big part of any sort of food sensitivity or apparent food intolerance is are do you have your basic system working well? Is stuff moving through you? Is it getting sanitized by your stomach acid? Is it getting emulsified and alkalized by your bile? 
Is your flora able to exist? Is it able to have the right kinds of bacteria doing their job of helping break down your food properly and helping you make proper enzymes? And is your intestinal tract able to have its normal like level of permeability or is it too porous from damage? All that kind of stuff matters a lot. And when we fix that, a lot of the time the issues that people think that they had with something like milk or meat uh, is totally resolved. Right. So let's look at one factor real quick as we get in more into this. And that's the difference between lactose intolerance and a food sensitivity. And I think that there's a lot of disagreement on uh, lactose intolerance and does it exist and how important are the enzymes. And, and if you don't understand it at all, basically the idea is that the enzyme lactase is used to break down the sugar molecules in dairy, which is lactose. So without that enzyme, those sugars can't be properly processed correctly and it can create bloating, diarrhea, other kind of problems like that. And that's kind of what, uh, in my opinion, is lactose intolerance. And, um, you know, some people say that, well, they've done clinical trials where they supplied dairy to the individual, um, and then they supplied lactose-free dairy, and both of them still went to the toilet all day, so those enzymes must not really be a factor. And that's not proving that they're not a factor. That's just proving that those people are screwed up even with the enzymes. So there's other factors of dairy that can be causing trouble, just in the same way that eggs could cause a person trouble. And eggs are pretty much the perfect food, but they can still be problematic if a person has a food sensitivity with eggs. So what I see with clients and we hear from a lot of book readers is that for a long time I would try to in implement dairy again by using just the digestive enzymes like we use, like Digestozyme is one from Empirical Labs that we use a lot because it contains some lipase in it. And I still didn't do well with any form of dairy when I did that. And then I found out later that the amount of lipase in there is nowhere near enough to process any type of serving of dairy. And so I started using this other product. I think Daily Manufacturing makes it, um, but it's called Milk Jest. And it contains a lot more of those enzymes. And when I use that, all of a sudden I can eat some dairy and, and I do fine. Um, so I, I do believe that there are people that don't have enough of uh, this specific enzyme. And if they can supplement it correctly, then they do okay with dairy. But you're also going to find a lot of people that are having other issues with dairy, more specific to the types of uh, proteins in those dairies, that they might be having like a food sensitivity issue too. And then when they supplement with those enzymes, it's not really going to create any type of improvement. And I think that's a lot from a lot where the argument comes from is, oh, well, you know, I did this and it didn't do anything, so that must not be a real thing, but when you realize that there's more than one underlying cause that any type of food can create trouble from, you see that just fixing one aspect is always not enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, the lactase is a piece of the puzzle. Like, um, you know, a lot of digestion is a very complicated thing, and milk is a really complex subs like substance as well. When you look at 
what what is its role? Its role is to provide like complete nutrition to a baby organism, right? Like that's the one thing that they consume when when we're infants. That is like it has so it has fats and minerals and all sorts of different little molecules that need to uh, jive well with our digestion and our bloodstream and lack. Lactose, the sugar in milk, is one piece of that puzzle. Normally, we make uh, well some populations and segments of the population are more set up well to produce lactase enzyme, and some so by region really, and then some people have uh, issues with their lactase production because of bacterial overgrowth in their small intestine. So even if you are in a population like most people in North America are usually of a genome that does a decent job of producing lactase. Still, you can have a compromised intestinal tract, like if you have an overgrowth, uh, like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you uh, that lactase that you're producing may be interfered with or blocked or de- uh, denatured. So, so what, so what you're saying is that uh, genetically a person could have a problem where they don't create enough lactase, but even if, are, even if you are genetically golden, you might not be making enough just because of gut yeah. problems that have gone awry. Exactly, yeah. So like you said, a lot of times that issue can be sort of circumvented by taking something like milk just that has a substantial amount of lactase. But also, like you said, and this is kind of a new talking point, um, it's not just the lactose that's to deal with. There's all of these other proteins and facets like caseins and, and other little immune proteins that can be produced in dairy. And that that brings us to this other talking point I wanted to mention is the way that our bodies work when we're exposed to a lot of stresses, our immune system is heightened. So when you look at like plants, like corn, when they're grown in industrial agriculture where they're not really getting everything that they need and the whole soil, like humus, is compromised and it doesn't have the right symbiotic relationships with all little microorganisms that help protect them from bacteria, a lot of times these plants have super elevated histamines and really heightened immune system responses because they're under constant onslaught from pests and insects and, and additional chemicals and herbicides. So those plants end up developing all these other histamines and things that create allergic responses that are designed to discourage predators. So like, it's their defense mechanism. Instead of having like cool little antlers, yeah, they just and got we, like things that annoy people when they sure. get eaten. And we do too. We have that on our skin like that are meant to deter bacteria and fungus. And when we're under attack, like we have elevated amounts of those different proteins and, and histamines that will create to protect ourselves. So plants are undergoing that, especially with industrial agriculture. The grass that cows eat or the grains that cows are fed. Right, yeah. They have super elevated histamine and, and, and immune system antigens. Antigens are things that stimulate an immune response. So when people say like, oh, I'm allergic to that, it's because you had a, usually a histamine response to that thing. So when you're Drinking milk from cows that are eating these like crops that are super elevated immune system like secretions present in them, it makes us a lot. It makes us exposed to a lot more of these antigens that um, make it way more. Like make food sensitivities and food allergies way more plethoric. 
it's not necessarily just the food in general, but a height like a food a plant that's trying to protect itself. Like that is the the issue where we've got all these histamines coming in at us because of that. So because of that, sometimes people if they're drinking sort of low grade industrially produced milks that are just fed kind of whatever food to make the milk from will have much more issues whereas organic grass-fed different brands may work better for people because they'll have just less antigens right. present so we'll talk about some other factors in there too i don't think i've ever used the word plethorant yeah nina have you ever used that word i think that's i think that's above our pay grade yeah <laughs> If you're a health, fitness, or nutrition professional, check out our other podcast, Six Figure Health Pro. We dig into the latest marketing techniques and business growing strategies for health professionals. To learn how to take your business to the next level, search for Six Figure Health Pro on iTunes or Stitcher, or go to sixfigurehealthpro.com to learn more. Now do what you're told. Um, you know, one thing too, uh, that before we get into those, the proteins that you were talking about and the casein and, and talk about whey and stuff like that, um, I want to share one viewpoint that I, I don't think that it's the law or it's, it's the thing that should make you sway you away from drinking milk, but I think it's a valid point to look at and I think it leads us to another valid point is that, you know, Will was talking about there's all this other stuff in milk. Milk is not just fat carbohydrates, you know, minerals, vitamins. It's not just calcium. It's not just that. It's made to take this new infant mammal and make it a much bigger mammal. And uh, so it contains all of these like signals from the body or from the mother to the newborn uh, and to their immune system. It contains like uh, hormonal signals. Um, all this other stuff that's helping this newborn double and triple its size in a very short period of time. So one thing that happens is that um, there's these compounds that have sp specific physiological functions in the milk. And there's uh, some casein molecule structures that are released during that digestive process. And uh, one aspect of them is some endorphins, and they call them casomorphins. And uh, what happens is that these can cross the gut barrier in a young mammal, and they can attach to opioid receptors in the nervous system, and they, and they can slow the pace of which the food is moving through the intestinal tract so that it can be absorbed better, it can help the animal develop better eating habits or behaviors and so that they really survive. So that's a beneficial thing. And it's understood that these specific uh, casomorphines won't cross the gut barrier in a healthy adult animal, so it's not going to cause any trouble. The problem is a lot of people don't have a healthy gut barrier. And so the trouble that that could cause in a, an adult with a leaky gut or just excessive permeability in the gut uh, that's not functioning correctly. That could be a wide variety of things because if you think about it, this these signals that are appropriate for a cow to send to a baby calf to uh, these hormonal signals that are saying grow at a very rapid pace, uh, they're appropriate for the calf, but once the calf is weaned from the mother's milk, not only are they inappropriate, but they might be harmful. And so you take that 
signal that's supposed to be for a calf and all of a sudden you're putting it in an adult human that's a different species altogether and there's really no trouble no telling what trouble that could create and i think that that's might be part of the factor of the difference between the person that thrives on milk and can benefit from all of the good things that milk can provide and the person that drinks milk and kind of falls apart or has these symptoms that create trouble I think it has a lot to do with that gut barrier and is it intact, is it functioning correctly or in the same way that we talk about all of these other food sensitivities where undigested food is crossing that barrier and creating this immune response, I wonder if a lot of, if milk not only has the ability to do that but has the ability for some of these other messages that are intended for an infant uh, to be disrupting or sending the wrong signals to an adult human in that manner. So in, in no place have I seen any kind of proof that says this is happening, but it's an interesting thing to think about, and it kind of helps us transition into the what is the deal if a if the gut is permeable and something that's not properly digested is making it into the system? Yeah, I mean, like I said at the at the start, a lot of these sensitivities are because our digestion is compromised not just milk, but kind of with pretty much any food. If you're not able to have the system run the way it's supposed to, it can create a lot of problems. But you're right also in that um, milk is designed for infants, and there are some nutrients that are kind of overemphasized that are appropriate for infants that are not as appropriate for growing adults. Like the methathionine and tryptophan are a little bit higher than maybe would be optimal for an adult, and so is the phosphate. But it, so it shouldn't it shouldn't necessarily be like the sole protein source for an adult. But it does have a lot of good things in there with it, and the amount of the the nutrients I just mentioned, the tryptophan and methathionine and phosphate, those are those are tolerable and needed to some extent, but to like super overdo it all the time and just hear me and think, Oh, Will said milk's cool. I'll just drink it all day. Like not necessarily, but it can be part of a balanced diet, especially if your digestion's working well. And it's really helpful to balance out its amino acid profile by emphasizing a lot of collagen rich foods. When we get those other amino acids that are really optimal for adult uh, humans, that can help balance out these ratios and that ratios matter a lot when we're looking at amino acid profile. For sure. And plus with the wide, broad spectrum of minerals, amino acids, nutrients, fats, all these things, different proteins that are in milk, if one aspect is a little higher than might be optimal for an adult, a lot of times that can balance out when everything else is available. Um, one problem that could be coming from some types of milk is that the way that they're processed restricts your ability to uh, assimilate some of those nutrients, especially if you're drinking skim milk yeah. or fat-free or low-fat milk, um, that homogenation process where they're uh, kind of squeezing all of those fat particles and then pulling them out. Then they put in, they put back in the, the designated amount that they want that milk to contain fat. So if it's going to be like 2% milk, they're going to put back this much. If it's going to be like full-fat milk, they'll put in more. Um, but if you're drinking a fat-free milk, a lot of the vitamins in, uh, that are really the best part of milk are fat-soluble. 
so you can't even assimilate them if you're not getting enough fat. And that, yeah, that's another big point on reactions people have to milk is by law, if it's not whole milk, they have to put in additive A and D, vitamins A and D. Right, it's hilarious. Yeah, and they're, they're synthetic and they have like, you know, all these industrial binding agents and they'll oftentimes try to thicken the milk to improve its mouthfeel using stuff like carrageenan, which is a highly reactive antigen for a lot of people. So if you're drinking anything other than whole milk and you're like, oh, I can't stand it, it may be because of those other things that they're having to add in there by law. So um, just it's worth, I think it's worth experimenting if you feel like, oh, you really like milk or you feel like you want a another food source that has a really bioavailable form of calcium or other sugars that could work in a more balanced way without triggering such an insulin spike as something like like honey or coconut water or whatever, and you want milk back in, you might want to try taking lactase enzyme like from milk jest, try whole milk without added carrageenan or, or synthetic vitamin A or D. It shouldn't say added vitamin A or D on it. And try different brands. See if you, like there's one that's like, oh, this one totally worked for me. It didn't make me stuffy. I felt fine. And also, it takes a little while for some people, if you haven't had milk in a long time, for your gut flora to change appropriately. Because bacteria, they're crazy adaptive. Like They have a new generation every 20 minutes in many, in many strains of bacteria. And they will constantly be adapting their populations in response to uh, the environment, what, fuel, what foods are available. So if you haven't had milk in a decade and you drink some, it may take a little while for the bacteria to adapt. But usually they find people's tolerance for milk can really build if they have just a little bit every day for a couple weeks. Right, and that uh, a lot of people never get to that adaptive capacity, and when that's the problem, that can really be a good solution. And going back to the vitamins, where they add in the A and D when they take out the fat, have you ever heard a story of why? What made them think to do that? Was it were they seeing that there was less A and D absorption when they took out the fat? So it's like, oh, we'll just add more A and D in, and then people will get more. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's a fat-soluble vitamin, so it's in the fat. So when you make it a fat-free milk, you make it a vitamin-free milk. (laughs) (laughs) So they add them back in thinking that they're taking care of the situation. Um, But if a person, especially if they're eating a low-fat diet like people have been for decades now, that you're restricting your ability to get any of those nutrients anyways. And one thing you skimmed over that I think is important is that a lot of the synthetic vitamins – um, are made from crap ingredients that were developed in an inappropriate manner. So now the whole reaction that you're having could just be from these crap vitamins that were added to the milk. It yeah. might not be from the milk itself in any way. Yeah. Okay, so let's hit uh, another question, and, sure. and then we'll say words about that question. Sure. Amber, does lactose intolerance contribute to gallstones? You know, I, I, I don't know a reason that it would directly, but if your lactose intolerance is coming from a, a lack of digestion, um, you know, you may be 
intolerant to milk because you can't process fats correctly because your bile is not flowing, then all of a sudden that makes sense for gallstones. Yeah, and there is a piece of the puzzle where it can be connected to um, to calcium metabolism. So if you're not getting enough calcium in your diet and say, like, oh, I can't drink milk, so, and you just don't make a point of finding like a good source of calcium, then that can contribute to gallstones because you can get elevated parathyroid hormone levels, which can result um, – because your, your bloodstream needs to have calcium in it. Your nerves run off of it. Your, all your tissues function using uh, calcium ion channels. So if you don't have enough of it, you will, you will leach calcium from your bones and hard tissues so that it can play its role in those other physiological functions like muscle contraction or nerve impulse. And that, that errant calcium metabolism, when you're mining it from your own hard tissues, can end up depositing the soft tissues and can also end up altering the structure or the consistency of your bile as well as kidney stones like both of those things can uh, can be exacerbated if you have a calcium deficiency and that can be tied into like if you're not getting a good source of calcium like milk is a good source of calcium you could get it from other things too like they have like eggshell powders and different well, even like kale, you know, is a great yeah, source of calcium. There's even been studies that show that it's easier to assimilate the calcium from kale than from dairy. Sure. Um, so that is a big misconception that we have to have dairy to get calcium. But if you're doing dairy the right way, it can be a great source of calcium. And when you understand how important calcium is, that can be a good deal. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Melissa. Okay. Her question is, I hear some people who can't tolerate pasteurized milk can tolerate raw milk. Is that true? And if it is, why? You know, I, when I do drink milk, I do do much better on raw milk. And I think there's quite a few factors that contribute to this. Um, I'm not quite on the boat of only use raw dairy, but I think anytime it's available, I think it's more beneficial. And we could certainly talk about how all this scaring tactics of raw dairy is is a load of fiction. But, um, you know, one thing to consider is that the pasturation process kills enzymes. You know, that heating kills any enzymes that's in the milk or, or the dairy. And, uh, you know, so if you're drinking raw milk, you're getting all those enzymes that help you process that milk. And I think that's a big factor with it. What else about the processing can be problematic? Um, just like the possible or denaturizing proteins when they're heated, enzymes definitely that happens to them. I think those are the, the kind of main factors of what your uh, your problems might be that come from pasteurization. Is a lot of times mother's milk will contain things that help the baby digest that food. You know, so if you're going to heat it and damage those enzymes, that that can kind of get in the way of its functionality. You know, one interesting thing, too, is that the casein, the protein, one of the proteins in milk, um, it shares some structural similarities with components of gluten. And people that are really gluten sensitive have a much higher chance of being what they call lactose intolerant. And Mm -hmm. that makes sense from what we just talked about is, you know, one of the most problematic foods that creates more trouble for a lot of people is is grains. And we've talked on other episodes about how it doesn't seem to be actually the gluten that is the problem. 
Um, it just seems to be other cofactors that are contained in gluten-containing foods that cause a problem. Because they've done studies where they just give somebody gluten and they're golden, but if they eat gluten-containing foods, then they have those same reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, so milk may be similar in the fact that when you're eating this uh, milk where they take the lactose out and processing that that way, some people do okay if their problem was only that they didn't have that specific enzyme. But people still have issues with that milk, and uh, the processing may make all this worse when you're considering the fact that it may not even be the things that we're looking at. It may not be the lactose for a lot of people. It may not even be the casein or whey proteins. It could be all these other cofactors that are in the actual structure that help it to be able to be processed correctly or to cause problems for people. So uh, when you take the stuff out and people still have problems, that makes sense. In the same regard, when you process something that's natural and has all this stuff in it to help your body digest it correctly, uh, any of that processing can make it more problematic, making the raw milk better tolerated by so many people. Absolutely. And I just want to read this little excerpt from people that might want to geek out further on these other factors. Like, what are those other things? Um, One of them, as I talked about earlier on in the, sorry, my computer's chiming noises. Um, Maybe that was a message reminding us that Kenna wanted to tell us something about Audible. For all of our Kick It Naturally listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. Woo-hoo. Just go to kickitinthenuts.com forward slash audiobook to find the link. Thank you, Kenna. That's not okay. really here. Okay. All right. Fake Kenna, you did a great job. Um, surprisingly, a few stutters today. Right, right. Good. <laughs> but some of these other cofactors are these, they're part of the plant's immune system. So, when they don't have all their healthy little mycorrhiza protecting them from different pathogens, a lot of times they will have a lot more fungus and bacteria that are invading them. What are you talking about right now? Uh, plants. Okay, plants. So like grains, like grains that have gluten. So we were just talking about gluten, yeah? Yeah, right. So plants produce these things to help protect themselves when they're under stress. And I just want to read this one little paragraph from... Uh, an article by one of my favorite biochemists, Ray Pete, called Milk in Context. And this paragraph says, Two main classes of plant allergens are stress-induced chitinases, which are, chitin is a, is a molecule that fungus make their cell walls out of, and chitinase helps break that down. So it helps, like, destroy fungus, just like delimining helps kill bacteria, chitinase helps kill fungus. So... Two main classes of plant allergens are stress-induced chitinases and seed storage proteins such as gluten. The chitinase allergies are responsible for reactions to latex, uh, which is secreted by rubber trees in reaction to a wound, bananas, avocados, many other fruits and vegetables, and some types of wood and other plant materials. Intensive agricultural methods are increasing the formation of defensive chemicals and the industrialized crops are responsible for the great majority of the new allergies that have appeared in the last 30 years or so. So everybody isn't crazy. Like, like <laughs> you know, like you never heard. We great- know we're crazy. We already knew that. Great grandma never said, I can't drink this milk because she's bringing in the pail. Like they yeah. never had that thing going on. Like they, everybody ate cornbread. Everybody drank their milk, whatever. No one had these issues. And largely it, they, they weren't just stronger. Like they had 
crops that were less stressed than ours under like these crazy hydroponic and industrial agricultural super GMO situations that we've created for plants to help them just bust out the largest volume of yield that they can, whether or not they're healthy. So sometimes it's a matter of like going local, going to smaller places where people are really growing, taking care of their plants and making sure that they're really healthy and um, less exposed to stresses. And a lot of times that can do what's needed to be done. Like I have seen so many people from Europe, like Germany or France, that said they're totally fine having pastas and breads and stuff in their country. But when they come here, they're eating the same foods and all of a sudden they're super allergic to everything. Right. You know, it's still gluten, uh-huh. you know, totally different crops. Right. And, and, you know, one thing to consider when you're even looking at dairy is you could have a, pers- you could have a problem with grains. And when you're eating milk from just the grocery store, just in the normal jug or whatever, uh, a lot of those cows are fed a lot of grains, which is not their natural form of food. And so uh, some of those proteins can get in there and cause trouble to you if you already have trouble with those types of proteins in those grains. So that's another whole thing to consider where, uh, you know, when someone's drinking raw milk, it's usually an organic pasture raised cow that that milk is coming from because nobody's going to sell raw milk without having the understanding of, oh, you know, the things that make that milk beneficial and healthy and all those things. So uh, it's that's a really big deal when it comes to milk is what is the cow eating and how are they raised? Just like if you were going to eat meat, we talk in a lot of episodes about, um, you know, meat is not the bad guy. It's the way that we raise our meat that creates a lot of the trouble. Uh, but once you can digest meat properly and you eat meat that's raised properly and uh, is not pumped with all these hormones and antibiotics and all this junk, then it becomes very beneficial. And I think that's important to look at the same view with dairy. Yeah. And have you ever, I mean, sometimes it's comical in nature when people start to get really specific about like the quality of their stuff. Like, have you ever seen the first episode of Portlandia? No. That's in there. They're sitting down at this restaurant and they're going to order chicken for lunch, but they wanted to know, like, was it free range or pasture raised? And then they wanted to know, like, how big was the pasture? And was it, like, happy? Was the farmer, like, just saying it was pasture, like, doing something? Or was he really caring for them? And they bring out a photo album of the chicken. <laughs> His name was Leonard. He's really happy. He seemed well adapted. And then they go to, like, visit the farm and all this stuff. It's ridiculous. Um but there is some merit to maybe not that level of neuroses, but caring about where your food comes from because its nutrient density can vary hugely. And just being organic isn't necessarily going to create that that positive nutrient or uh, nutrient uh, improvement in your food content. But when it's really well farmed, or the crops have been really cared for, and the soil is really cared for. There is a huge nutritional difference as well as a huge difference in the number of antigens and histamines and stress hormones that um, an immune system like antigens that the plants are producing. So try these different foods, not just with milk, like even beyond that, like maybe other uh, vegetables or fruits or grains even that you thought that you were allergic to. See if the source, changing the source makes a difference for you because it very well may. 
Okay, good. Okay, we're going to have to wrap this up, uh, but um, we're going to finish this show next week because we have a bunch of more questions to talk about. We're going to talk more about bone health and calcium and stuff like that, too. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit more about raw milk stuff and uh, steps that you can take to either uh, figure out if you're doing okay on dairy or steps you can take to improve your ability to process dairy. So, uh, Kenna, uh, tell us how we can learn about more stuff, and we'll see you guys next week. If you want to learn more about how to look at your own chemistry, you can read any of Tony's books or take the almost free four-week digestion course at kickitnaturally.com or head on over to Will Schmidt's mybodyofknowledge.net. He's got some great exercise videos up and some stretches and articles and some yummy pictures of himself. So check it out. Cause I know.